This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Hosted by me, you and I, insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Excellent stuff ahead on today's show as we're joined by Luke Martin, the play-by-play voice of the Indiana State Sycamores on ESPN+. Plus. We're previewing that game, UNI versus Indiana State, happening today in the Dome at 4 p.m. Then our good friend of the show, Nick Osen, joins to preview Iowa State, taking on undefeated Kansas in Lawrence. Of course, Nick from 24-7 Sports and Cyclone Alert. But first... Another big game happening this weekend for sports fans in the state of Iowa. And this won't necessarily serve so much as a preview for the Hawkeyes taking on number four, Michigan. But I don't think we can go a full-length Iowa-based show and not get pure honesty from me, your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. What everyone, including Jim Harbaugh, head coach of the Wolverines, including the head coach of Iowa's opponent, is saying is Kinnick Stadium is, quote, where top five teams go to die. And there's some truth in that, right? Five of the last six games at Kinnick Stadium matching up with a top five opponent in the country, Iowa comes away with a victory. That dates back to 2008. Iowa has won five of those last six home games against top five teams in the country, and that is a crazy stat. Granted, they're all other Big Ten opponents. They haven't taken on anybody from outside of the conference at home in their non-conference play early in the season. But there is one thing to say about this, this record that dates over a decade back to 2008 in the history of Iowa football. And the first thing that I have to say about that is this is not the Hawkeye teams of yesteryear where the offense was a little bit below average to average probably at best. Maybe I give them a little bit more than that those years with Ricky Stanzi and Tony Moiaki and Marvin McNutt, Adam Robinson, Brandon Wegger, all the way back to when the team was in the Orange Bowl that year in 20, 2010, I believe it was, 2009, 2010, that they went to the Orange Bowl. That team was freaking good. Like Ricky Stanzi, probably in the top three to five quarterbacks all time at Iowa, uh, at least in my opinion. That team was special. We look back at that team. I look back at that team fondly, growing up a Hawkeye fan. Those teams were fun to watch. I idolized uh, uh, Ricky Stanzi and, and Marvick McNutt and, and Pat Angerer and A.J. Eads, Adrian Claiborne. Those teams were freaking phenomenal. And for that reason, I just can't look at this current team 
and think that they're going to continue that trend. Yes, they did it last year against Penn State, but we're going to get into it here, starting with that 2018. We're going to look at each of these wins, the five of these wins going back to 2008. We'll start with that 2018. Like I said, that win over Penn State in Kinnick Stadium. Kickoff at 237. 2.37 p.m. is when kickoff was. It was in November, so essentially that's a night game. We'll start off with that. And all these games, almost all of them anyway, night games. 2.37 kickoff against Penn State. It ends at night, right? I, I remember that kickoff, Daniel, or that kick rather, that won it. Daniel Murray booting it through the uprights for the win against Penn State. Ricky Stanzi at quarterback, like I said. Sean Green at running back. Darrell Johnson Koulianos at wide receiver. Then those names that I mentioned, Adrian Claiborne, Pat Angerer, A.J. Eads, Brett Greenwood in the defensive backfield. Iowa wins that one 24-23 on a Daniel Murray field goal, like I mentioned. Next one, 2010, Michigan State kickoff at 236 on October 30th. So again, essentially what becomes a night game later on in the contest. Season after the Orange Bowl. This is this is the solid team. They had just lost 31-30 to Wisconsin. This team really should have competed for a, for a national championship that year, but then things really just went out the window. But they lost the previous game 31-30. to Bad taste in their mouth after the loss to Wisconsin. Iowa's up 30-0 to at halftime against the Spartans. This, this win against Michigan State in 2010. 30-0 at halftime. That's a hard start that this team in Iowa City this year would never even imagine. They can't score 30 points in an entire game, let alone in multiple games. Adam Robinson and Marcus Coker are running backs. Ricky Stanzi, his senior season. Marvin McNutt is at, is, at, is at wide receiver. Then you got Adrian Claiborne once again. Sean Prater, James Morris on the defense. That team was loaded still, even though they didn't live up to, to the expectations that they wanted. Also, Michigan State's quarterback, Kirk Cousins, who, shocker, didn't live up to the big moment, the primetime moment of college football in Kinnick Stadium. He threw three interceptions that day. Just one one touchdown pass, three interceptions. Iowa wins 37-6 to in Kinnick Stadium. Again, there's the trend there. Lots of talent. It's essentially a night game, and they were up 30-0 to at halftime. That necessarily doesn't fall into that 2008 win, but it's something to note. And they are coming off a big loss the week prior, 31-30 to to Wisconsin. That was in 2010. 2016, we're fast-forward, almost fast-forwarding almost half a decade, more than half a decade. This is that last win against Michigan at home. Kickoff at 7-12. So this is definitely a night game. I remember watching this one in my dorm, my freshman, or excuse me, my sophomore year, at uh, at UNI, sitting in my bed in Shoal Hall. Shout out to Shoal Hall, anybody who lived there, and watching the end of this game and just being floored that they somehow won. It was a 14-13 to win there at home in Kinnick Stadium. Again, here we go, coming off a 41-14 to throttling to Penn State. They just got beat to hell in that week prior. C.J. Bathard at quarterback, he didn't have a good game, but still ridiculously better than what we've seen from Spencer Petras. C.J. Bathard, again, one of those top three to five quarterbacks in Iowa history. Then you got Akram Wadley at running back, who had a great career at Iowa. Is he one of the greats? Probably not, but had a great career while he was in Iowa City and is better than what 
Iowa has in the backfield right now. Then again, that offensive line also drastically better than what is currently in Iowa City. Michigan's quarterback, Wilton Spate. If you remember this, this is back right at the beginning of the Jim Harbaugh era. He went 11 of 26 for 103 yards and a pick. Josie Jewell was on that defense. He was the the Mike linebacker of that defense. Again, one of the better linebackers in the history of the state of, uh, of, of Iowa football. So again, here are these trends showing up that we don't necessarily have going into this Iowa versus Michigan game this year in 2022. They're coming off a blowout loss, a bad loss to Penn State. And it's a night game, 7-12 kickoff. Some of these greatest players in Iowa history, C.J. Beathard and then Josie Jewell, and a, a, a good enough offensive line, a talented running back, that all of these things coming together, maybe maybe not so much uh, lacking defensively, of course, uh, with this defense this year. Jack Campbell has been phenomenal, probably one of the best linebackers in, in the country this year, if not the best. Um, but... These trends, they're starting to line up here between these these games that, that Iowa won. Again, before we get to this next top five victory for Iowa over these last five or over these last six top five games in Kinnick Stadium, I want to remind you you're listening to Corn Stocks and Sports Talk here on AM950 KOEL and KOEL.com with me, Elliot Clough, you and I insider for Town Square Media, discussing the possibility of Iowa somehow winning this game against Michigan this weekend. Looking back at the history of these top five wins. So we're going to move on to 2017 Ohio State kickoff. It's at 2:40, but again, it's in November. So later in in this game, it got dark quick. I was up 31 to 17 and a half. And the big thing that sticks out from this game that Amani Hooker pick six, I believe, is the first play of game from scrimmage. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but Amani Hooker first game of the uh, first play of the game from scrimmage. JT Barrett throws a pick. Amani Hooker returns it for a touchdown. It's already seven zero, and we're not even like thirty seconds into the game. So that's a huge, huge thing that happened in this one. Nate Stanley again, not a great quarterback, still better than Spencer Petras. He goes twenty of thirty one, five touchdown passes. Five touchdown passes. Akram Widley still there. James Butler at running back. Again, not a fantastic duo. Not an outstanding duo by any means, but better than what's currently going on in Iowa City. And then two names you might remember. TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant on both ends of the offensive line. Playing tight end for Iowa. Yes, you have Sam Laporta, but you don't have two guys who are going to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Both on the same team. They both scored two touchdowns in this game. JT Barrett throws four interceptions. So we're seeing these trends. Talented, talented guys that are still there. A great start to the game. Again, that 30-0 start against Michigan State at halftime. This one, it was 31-17 at half. Amani Hooker goes out, gets that pick to start the game. We're going to move on to last year now, 2021. This is the final of those five wins over top five teams in Kinnick Stadium for Iowa. They beat Penn State. At Kinnick, kickoff 3.05, October 9th. Again, it's getting dark towards the end. When everybody rushed the field, it was dark out. So, in effect, what has become a night game in in in, in, in football is uh, that 3.05 start because it gets to be dark towards the end of the contest. Number three versus number four at home. Iowa should have won this game, and they did. They won 23-20 over Penn State. Uh, uh, by the way, that last game, Iowa did win 55-24. Kind of blew out Ohio State in that one. But... Back to, to what we're talking about here. Iowa scored 10 unanswered points in the fourth, which is a little bit of a, of a different trend here 
than than these previous games. It was typically a hot start for the Iowa offense or or a pick six that gets things started. But it was back and forth, back and forth, and then Iowa scores. 10 unanswered points in the fourth. They win. Spencer Petras somehow completed 17 passes. I couldn't tell you the last time he did that. Maybe this was the last time he did that. 17 passes. He was 17 of 31 for 195 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Still not fantastic uh, in the box score, but still not good. Sean Clifford gets hurt. That is one thing that Penn State fans love to talk about when we're talking about this game that happened last year at Kinnick, the number three and number four teams, Penn State, Iowa. Sean Clifford got hurt. Otherwise, Nittany Lion fans, they firmly believe that Penn State would have won that game. Then on top of that, the offense this year, lacking weapons. Keegan Johnson hurt. He's not playing. Tyler Goodson, he's there for for that 2021 team. Charlie Jones still there for that 2021 team. Tyrone Tracy was there. He didn't do much. But three big weapons that are no longer there. Of course, you don't have Tyler Linderbaum on the offensive line, which has still been bad. So there are these missing pieces talent-wise that Iowa just does not have offensively. I love what Iowa's putting together defensively this year. That offense is lacking in every single facet of the game. You say tight end, Sam Laporta. Well, if your quarterback can't get him the ball... I just, there's there's nothing that I can take away from this Iowa offense and say, that's what's going to get it done for them. That's where they're going to score. And you know that already. But here we go. I think I've made my case based on the track record. You know, everybody's saying five of six games. Iowa's won the last five of six games against top five teams in the country in Kinnick Stadium. This is where top five teams go to die. Well, I just listed out several different trends Several different things that happen in those games that cannot happen, that won't happen for Iowa this Saturday against Michigan. They can't pull it off. These hot starts, 30-0 to zero at halftime, 31-17 to 17 at halftime for Iowa. Iowa's offense can't score 17 points even. Even the latter. Like, if you flipped it around, if Michigan scored 31 in the first half and Iowa could score 17, I'd be freaking shocked if they could score 17 points offensively. If there was a pick six... Cooper DeGene does it again. Shout out to OABCIG, Ida Grove, where I'm from. I don't think Cooper knows me at all. But, <laughs> but Cooper gets another interception, returns it for a touchdown. That I'm not counting that. They can't score 17 points in a half. They can't. They can't score and score 30 points in a game. So there's 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 just no way the offense gets a hot start like they've had in some of these games that have resulted in wins. Could a quick pick six happen like Amani Hooker did against Ohio State in 2017? Yeah, it could happen. But is the momentum going to carry over to the offense? I don't think so. Lacking talent offensively, it's just not there. Uh, there's, there's, I don't think there's an intimidation factor. I mean, Michigan just beat the crap out of Iowa last year in the Big Ten Championship. On top of that, Iowa staff in the locker room have been playing that game over and over and over and over all, again all week. I think you play it once, twice, and your your message is across. That's got to be getting in these guys' heads. I mean, this team isn't as good. The offense is absolutely abysmal like it was last year. So, again, we're talking Iowa versus Michigan here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on this Saturday morning. So I think I've made my case historically, right? It's It just doesn't line up. But to further my point, I've talked a lot about Iowa and the the lack of consistency in some of these 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 things that have happened previous 
in those wins against these top five teams. And some of you might be out there saying, well, it's not that way this year. Well, here's the thing. The opponent doesn't line up in terms of talent offensively either. Like I mentioned, Kirk Cousins threw three interceptions in that game. JT Barrett threw four interceptions. I think it's Williams and I can't remember the other guy's name, Penn State 2008. That team was capable, but offensively, but Iowa was also somewhat capable offensively. Sean Clifford gets hurt. That takes Penn State, their offense, out of it. I mean, the the 2016 Michigan game, Wilton Spate was maybe an average quarterback. And you look at the Michigan team going into this season, what they've got so far, going into this game rather, Iowa won't be facing teams with inept offenses all all season long, and this is where they're going to get shell-shocked. They lost against Iowa State. Iowa State has a decent offense, pretty good offense. We'll talk about that a little bit more with Nick Osen from 24-7 Sports coming up here. But if there was one team that they've faced that they're going to be shocked by at, at the, the capability of the offense, it's going to be Michigan. J.J. McCarthy, new starting quarterback for Michigan, 48 of 60, completing 80% of his passes so far this season. 693 t- yards, five touchdowns. Running back for Michigan, Blake Corum leads the team in rushing. 64 carries, 478 yards, and nine touchdowns. Their defense is currently allowing just 11 points per game, seventh in the country. Iowa's number one, but, th- but their offense has also got awful, which I've made that point. I'm not saying that this, this game against Michigan for Iowa, it's, it's not the, a win. Taking away a win is not impossible. Like, I'll just put it that way. It's, it's not impossible for Iowa to win this game against Michigan in Koenig Stadium, number four Michigan this weekend, but I highly freaking doubt it. I highly doubt it. It's almost impossible I will be shocked, floored, flabbergasted, frazzled, if you will, if Iowa somehow wins this game this weekend. You can call me a hater. I'll own it. I don't see it happening. I love Iowa's defense. Jack Campbell, one of the best linebackers in the country. Lucas Van Ness has been really fun to watch. Cooper DeGene, one of the best defensive backs in the Big Ten. Riley Moss, an All-American. No Justin Jacobs, too. No Keegan Johnson. I just don't see it happening. I want, I mean, there have been moments where people could have called me a homer for the Hawkeyes, even though I don't cover them. I haven't been a fan of them in probably a decade. A little bit, little bit less than that, but still. Not a chance. Michigan, they, they might squeak out a win, but they're not going to lose this game. I'm going to say... Probably twenty to thirteen, Michigan. I think I think they'll cover the spread. So that's my thoughts there. If you disagree, message me on Twitter. Hit, hit us in. Uh, hit the reply to, to the tweet that we put up for this podcast. Let us know. Tell me I'm wrong, and and make fun of me if Iowa somehow pulls it off. I doubt it, but we'll see. Again, my name is Elliot Clough. You and I, insider for Town Square Media. Don't go anywhere. Luke Martin. Indiana State play-by-play voice for their ESPN Plus broadcasts. He's joining us to preview UNI taking on Indiana State in the Dome at 4 p.m. today. So stay right here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more corn stocks and sports talk.
So the Panthers, they got their first victory of the season last week at Western Illinois, looking to make it happen once again today as they take on the 1-2 and two Indiana State Sycamores in the Dome at 4 p.m. And now joining us to preview the game is Luke Martin, play-by-play voice of the Sycamores on ESPN+. Luke, 1-2 and two start to the season for Indiana State. Lone win coming over North Alabama, who just went D1 in 2018. Other two losses to some good good teams in Purdue. And number two, Montana. Is it tough to evaluate where, the, where this team is right now, heading into to, uh, four weeks and um, coming off a bye? No question, Elliot. Thanks for having me on, number one. But, yeah, it's it's really tough to gauge. Out of my six years here, this is by far the toughest early season schedule that Indiana State has had. And Montana is going to be in the mix for the FCS national title. Purdue, we'll see how they do in the Big Ten. I think they'll be a solid Big Ten team. I don't think necessarily they're in the upper tier, but still – because of who Indiana State is and who Purdue is, Purdue's a high-scoring offensive team. The Sycamores, of course, are not. Just felt it was a very bad matchup, and that was a game where, as you knew, and if you watched, if Indiana State was going to turn the ball over, which has been a little bit of a theme, Purdue had short fields. Indiana State's defense is good, but they're better when they have 80 yards behind them versus short fields, and that's what Purdue had a lot in that game, and that's how that game got out of hand very, very early. And Purdue basically didn't play any other starters for the second half in a 56-0 game. So part of that, yes, it is hard to gauge. But also, you know your weaknesses right now, Elliot, and you know where you have to get better as a football team. And even though that may be somewhat of a negative view, you at least know what you got to work on. And I feel like for Indiana State, that is a positive as they head into the Missouri Valley Football Conference part of the schedule. Because guess what? You can try to find any sort of segue or segment of your schedule go that's where it dips it really never dips in this league Um, but it is very unfortunate from an Indiana State perspective that they have a little bit more of a younger team and a more inexperienced team with the schedule that's probably made for a team that's been through the gauntlet and unfortunately this team just hasn't yet they have guys who have been on the roster but not necessarily have played a ton and there's a big difference of being on the roster and experience it on the sideline versus actually experiencing the game so yeah, to answer your question, it's been a really – I don't know really still what maybe the ceiling is for this team. I thought they were kind of around eighth, ninth preseason. I think I picked Indiana State eighth in my preseason poll. I thought they were better than – I thought they were still kind of consistently better than some of the teams in the bottom half of the league. But to get to that next level, you got to be able to not just – win against the upper tier you gotta start competing and I feel like that's the next step for Indiana State it's not just winning uh they gotta get competing first and uh, that's what I'm most interested this weekend to see what type of game Indiana State will get so a lot of negatives for (laughs) through those first three games but what positives have you been able to take away um about this team and at least maybe in that win versus North Alabama over time 17 to 14 uh in week one well, say that win week one against North Alabama meant so much more than just winning a game. Uh, obviously, our tragic situation, losing two players in, in the preseason just 11 days before the start of our first game was a, uh, a, a situation that you never want any team or program to be in. And that was just the game, Elliot. Granted, you know North Alabama is not going to be an upper-tier FCS team, but you knew with what was coming after that, you got to find a way to win that game. And if you watch that game, 
it looks like North Alabama is going to win it uh, in overtime. They're driving. They get down inside the five-yard line. The energy Memorial Stadium seems like, oh, my goodness, here comes a North Alabama touchdown after Indiana State got a field goal on their first possession in overtime. And the ball gets snapped right over North Alabama's head and puts them out of field goal range. And it was just the, the snap that everyone was hoping would go astray. And Indiana State found a way to win that game. Rylan Cole picking off his second pass to ultimately secure the win for Indiana State on the last play. But that win against North Alabama was just massive for, I can give you many, many reasons, but it was just big for a team that needed something positive after just the most negative you could ever have and just sorrow, to be honest, that they were going through. That was a really big pick-me-up for the team. In terms of on the field, outside, Dante Hendricks did not play in that game, but when Dante Hendricks came back against Purdue, had five receptions over 90 yards, he is so important to this team. Uh, last time he was in the Unidome, nearly had 150 yards receiving. He was the reason why Indiana State's offense even had a prayer uh, to try to get into the end zone. He is legit. He is good. Uh, and he's not just, he's better than good. I feel like he, because of who he plays for, because of what team he is on, and that's very deservedly so. I mean, Indiana State's not been knocking at the door to win a Valley title. If you're not doing that, you're not going to get the personal accolades. But I'll put Dante Hendricks up against any receiver in this league because if you throw it up to him, he's going to come down with it. And now it's just Indiana State's got to find a guy who can consistently get the ball to him and also have an offensive line up front that can sit, can consistently give somebody time to find those weapons. Indiana State's always felt like they've had good skill, Elliot. It's just been in the trenches is where they have struggled. That's probably the biggest uh, weakness for Indiana State here in this season. But they got weapons. They just have to be able to utilize it. And like I said, it's just been hard to really pinpoint really anything else because you had a defensive front week one that had eight sacks. Not a lot since then. Um, and, and that could be just an increase in competition. It uh, could just be North Alabama really strong. We're going to start finding those answers out, though, and what the real answers are and who Indiana State truly is uh, starting Saturday uh, in the Unidome. One other name that that we haven't got to yet is is Justin Dinka, who had about 100 yards against Montana in that first half. Uh, is that who ISU – needs to be or wants to be offensively this season is establishing the run before they start to open up the pass game? That is Coach Mallory's DNA. They want to run the football. If you look back in 2018, Ryan Boyle gets so much attention, and he should. I mean, he was the Missouri Valley Football Conference Newcomer of the Year, transfer into the Indiana State program from Iowa, didn't get much of an opportunity to play at Iowa, comes in, and he was stellar at quarterback. But what gets overlooked that year, uh, Elliot, is that Indiana State averaged nearly 250 yards rushing per game. Uh, that was only behind North Dakota State in the Valley that year. That's how good Indiana State was up front. That's how good they were on the line uh, and in the backfield with their running backs. And that was also – they were without Jaquan Keyes, who at the time was the leading rusher in the Valley, I believe, after six games. He got hurt, had missed the rest of the year. So they threw multiple different guys in there at the end of the year, from Titus McCoy, Christian Covington. Um, many different guys had their chances. Uh, Peterson Curligrain, before he really became the mainstay for us, the running back, got their opportunities. And Indiana State still found a way to run the football effectively. That's just what Coach Mallory wants to do. They want to limit the time of possession for the opponent. Um, that's why the first half was close against Montana. Indiana State held on to that football for almost twice the amount of time that Montana did. 
That was not the case in the second half, and that's why the game really got away for Indiana State. So, yes, they want to be ball control. Uh, they want to possess the football, be able to run the football. Like you said, Justin Dinka had almost 100 yards in the first half. We had negative eight yards rushing in the second half. And that's not all on Justin. Uh, that's, that's the team effort there. And that is why Indiana State more than likely won't have T. Hodge this weekend in the Unidome. Who else besides Justin Dinka can help him out in that backfield? And also, what can Indiana State get up front to give those guys some, some holes? Because when Dinka does get into the open field, he is extremely fast, and he can hit home runs, just like he did against Montana with that 54-yard touchdown run. Luke Martin from ESPN Plus. He's a play-by-play voice of the Indiana Indiana State Sycamores. Joining us here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and at KOEL.com. Now, in terms of passing the ball, what I saw in those games that I've been able to watch so far, again, I told you in, in uh, the DMs, in your DMs when I slid in, um, <laughs> that I love the the broadcast you guys have put together. If you're looking for any film on an Indiana State, go ahead and watch it. Great broadcast that they do over there. Um, Gavin Screws, to me, he looks like he has all the physical tools. He looks like he's athletic enough and he has the ability to sling it, but the stats just aren't there yet this season. Am, am I accurate in, in those statements? What I think Gavin's biggest strength is can also be his weakness is he's not afraid to take shots. Um, I, that is why everyone on this team really likes Gavin. Uh, he's not going to be afraid to sling it. We're maybe in the past. And when I say the past, that's really been the issue since Ryan Boyle got hurt, tore his ACL early in the 2019 season. He decided he was done with college football and then decided to come back. It's really been a revolving door at that quarterback spot, and there's been no consistency. And even though maybe the statistics have not bared it out yet, I do give Coach Mallory credit and Coach Bath credit of giving Gavin a chance. I feel like there's maybe been some unfair criticism of Gavin so far in the early season where many are going, all right, Coach Mallory, you talked about how you, how you have three quarterbacks. Maybe it's time to give somebody else an opportunity. I do like that they're giving Gavin plenty of chances. I feel like you do need to give him an opportunity and not just an opportunity in one game, an opportunity in two games. I mean, Gavin's going against Purdue. He's going against Montana, just like everybody else. You know, those are really good defenses. And you and I is going to be no different. And nobody else in the Valley is really going to be no different. But I am pleased that Gavin is getting a chance. He's just got to take care of that football better. That, that's his biggest criticism right now. He's not taking care of the football. We love that he takes shots. We know you want to get the ball to number eight. But right now, Indiana State's offense, it does feel like any time they get near the red zone, you don't know necessarily when they're going to get there again. And that is why those possessions mean so much more. Where if you're in an offense that you know you're going to get 30-plus points per game, Maybe when you're more aggressive throwing the football and you turn it over every once in a while, it doesn't feel as big of a deal because, you know, all right, we're going to march right back down there and we're going to get there. Right now, Elliot, that's not the case with this Indiana State offense. You feel like when you're finally down there, I think that's why this team maybe struggles in the red zone. They're like, all right, we got to make this count because we don't know when we're going to get here again. Hopefully that changes as they go throughout the season. But that's – Gavin's got the numbers. Uh, he, he can throw it. Uh, he's got the arm capability is really what I meant more in terms of that stature, as you mentioned. He's got the physical build. It's just he's got to take care of that football um, because Indiana State's an offense right now that, that hasn't been able to get it in the high gear and be an offense that can continuing that can continuously score throughout a game. Now, defensively, one name you mentioned on that last broadcast and that uh, you've mentioned so far today, Ryland Cole, coming off that injury, uh, he's expected to play 
this Saturday for for Indiana State. He's got those two picks, two pass breakups, and he's second in tackling, I believe, even though he didn't play in that game in Montana. Um, what does he bring? And then are there any other names to be aware of uh, on the defensive side of the ball for the Sycamores? Rylan is a lot like Dante on the offensive side. When he's out there, he makes a huge difference. Um, now, how effective will he be? I think that will be the biggest question on Saturday. Elliot, he'll have a club on his hand when he injured, um, I believe it was his thumb, against Purdue and had surgery, and he set out last week. How effective will he be? I know he's been trying to deal with pain this week in practice and get it comfortable enough to where he can play on Saturday. I expect him to play on Saturday. But again, will he be the 100% Rylan Cole where he can fly around and and be as effective as he is? He's a great team leader. Um, He's only a sophomore, and he is a true sophomore. Last year, a true freshman earned the starting job halfway through the year, and he earned it. Uh, You know, he just goes around. He finds the football. Wherever that football is at, he's going to be near it. He's probably the best defensive player, I feel like, no matter where the ball is at, I say his name. It's really like the first guy since Jonas Griffith for us, where I just feel like wherever that ball is at, I always said Jonas's name because he was there. Rylan is that guy just on the back end of the defense. Up front, again, it was such a great start early. I feel like it's a defensive front that has tons of potential. I think there's more strength in the defensive line than there definitely is up front offensively for Indiana State. Giannini Belazier has experience in the league at Southern Illinois. He leads us in sacks right now. I think GG can be a wrecking ball on that defensive front. Lucas Hunter had a scoop and score against Montana two weeks ago. He's been in the system for a long time. I think it's like somewhere around he's played in 28 straight games. So, again, has the experience level, can be a key guy for Indiana State. Chris Reed Jr. up front, he's a team captain. He was on the 0-11 team in 2017, so he's been around a long, long time uh, and has has been through the gauntlet in terms of emotions here at Indiana State. So I feel like the strength is up front. There are question marks on the back end, even though Rylan Cole is a big strength. What else does Indiana State have there at their cornerback spot in the middle of that defense? The middle of the defense and the back end have been question marks in recent years for Indiana State. I feel like that is the same this year. There just needs to be – I hate to keep using the word consistent, but you have guys who maybe have flashes, but it's not through four quarters of football. It's not through maybe multiple weeks of a season. It just happens quickly maybe for a quarter and then goes away. I mean, Jeffrey Brown's a really good name, and people know Jeffrey, but he needs to show up, I feel like, in maybe bigger games. Uh, you look at a lot of his multi or ten or more tackle games are against lower-tier teams in the league, against really good teams – Sometimes I feel like his tackle numbers are low, and I don't say his name a ton around the football. I'd like to see Jeffrey this weekend really have a big game because I think he's got to in the middle of that defense for Indiana State to have a chance. Last thing from me, Luke, as we're previewing this game between you and I and Indiana State in the Dome this today uh, against uh, Indiana State, like I said, um, there's a pretty clear discrepancy in, in talent, and I think you'd agree with that between you and I and this Indiana State roster. Um, if you had to put together keys to victory for the Sycamores, what would they be? Do you see a chance of victory ahead of, uh, of Indiana State today? I don't know if I would word it as talent, Elliot. I think at this level, I think every team has talent. It's, it's the capability of where is your talent? Um, I feel like for Indiana State, where the talent has lacked, 
has been where you really need it. And that's in the trenches. Um, that is really the biggest difference I feel like between Indiana State and the teams that are in the upper tier of the league. Do they have the potential to be that this year? We're going to find out. I mean, we're going to really find out this weekend. But to really, I look at it as just you and I has owned this series. I mean, it's not just been, you know, recently. It's been overall. You know, just some of the numbers that I was looking up, you know, this week, Elliot, just going through. I mean, not only has Indiana State not won since 2014, they haven't scored a touchdown in 17 consecutive quarters against Northern Iowa offensively. That is just a staggering number. I mean, I don't care who you're playing. I mean, I'm just saying one touchdown. Um, it's been 17 consecutive quarters that Indiana State and Northern Iowa has played, and Indiana State hasn't even found the end zone yet. So that's where I look at this weekend from an Indiana State perspective. Can they win this game? Absolutely. The last time they were in the Unidome, it was an eight-point game, 17-9. Indiana State had two possessions inside the 10-yard line that they ended up having to kick field goals instead of touchdowns. You turn those into touchdowns, it's a different ball game. Uh, they may walk out of there and upset number five, you and I, in that, in that game in the Unidome. So they've shown that they can be in those games like they were in 2019 where everybody felt any state's out of the playoff hunt. They're not going to show you. You and I is going to roll. And you and I did not roll. Uh, they struggled against Indiana State that day. For Indiana State, they cannot turn the ball over, number one. You cannot give you and I extra opportunities. You cannot give Theo Day and that offense a chance to, on a short field. You have to make sure if they're going to score, they're going to earn it. Indiana State has to establish that ground game as we talked about. they got to be ball control. That's just the way the offense is right now. But I also want to say more names than Dante Hendricks. Who else can help out Dante? Can Dejan Collins? Can Kevin Barnett? Can uh, Harry Van Dyne? Can Dakota Caton? I feel like Dakota Caton, not just offensively, but maybe in special teams. Can he have a big kickoff return? Dakota is capable of doing that um, as well in the punt return game. Uh, can you be sound in the special teams' efforts? Um, but also, like I mentioned, can Indiana State get into the end zone? Uh, I've yet to call an Indiana State touchdown against Northern Iowa, Elliot. And this is my sixth season. So I would like to at least call an Indiana State touchdown in this darn game. Um, but I think in saying all that jokingly, Indiana State can win this game on Saturday. They have the talent. They have the capability to do it. It's the Missouri Valley Football Conference. I know that sounds cliche, but like Indiana State can win this game. I think their defense is more than capable. The offense has shown it, but can you do it consistently? And I think I don't want to, you know, I don't want to paint this as moral victory territory here, but just like I was looking up earlier today. So Indiana State last year, Elliott lost their, in their losses, they lost by a combined score of 234 to 46. But in the first half of those, all those losses, they were outscored 145 to 10. So out of their six losses, they had one touchdown in the first half and any of their six losses last year. So again, my point is getting off to a good start, that will be huge for Indiana State. And Indiana State's never lost the game under head coach Kurt Mallard when they led at halftime. I don't think that's necessarily a always a great indicator in terms of split stats, but Indiana State's only won three games under head coach Kurt Mallard when they trailed at halftime. Two of those came recently. One was North Alabama and then the Illinois State game to end last year. So if Indiana State finds a way to stay in games, Elliot, they've been able to win those games. It's just can they stay in them? So the long-winded answer, take care of the football, be able to establish the run game and find somebody else than Dante Hendricks potentially, but find number eight as well. But then get off to a good start. If they can get off to a good start, if they can stay in the game, 
I feel like Indiana State is going to have more than a chance to win that thing at the end. He is Luke Martin bringing us the cold, hard stats this morning on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. One more for you. I don't know if you know this one, Luke. Indiana State, 1-16 all time in the Dome. Um, so it'll it'll be an interesting one today between the Sycamores and the Panthers, another MVFC matchup. Luke Martin from Indiana State. He's the play-by-play voice on ESPN+. Plus. Joining us this morning, at underscore Luke P. Martin on Twitter. Luke, we appreciate you, man. Thanks, Elliot. Appreciate you, too. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. We got that third and final segment coming up with Nick Oson, Iowa State beat writer from 24-7 Sports, previewing undefeated Kansas versus Iowa State happening this weekend. So stay right here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more corn stocks and sports talk. The Cyclones are looking to bounce back after their first loss of the season last week to Baylor. And they're going to be doing it against undefeated Kansas on now on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. To preview the game is our friend Nick Osin from 24-7 Sports. Nick, before we preview the game today, thoughts on those two atrocious calls last week versus Baylor that uh, targeting and I think it was a legal block on a defense? Yeah, those were pretty... <laughs> Pretty terrible. Uh, you know, I'm not somebody – I tweeted this. I'm not somebody that's, you know, really one to kind of get on the refs really ever uh, because, you know, people make mistakes and it's a crazy, complex game and things are moving quickly. But they were not only, you know, really bad, but but there's some that you don't usually just randomly see for a home team, especially, I would say, if a team kind of gets, like, hosed by refs per se. It's usually kind of the road team. And then the fact that – they actually had some major effects on the game. Granted, they were early, you know, first half. And I've said it on a couple other shows this week that even with those, Iowa State still had a chance to win, which I think, you know, speaks to, I guess, I, I guess I'd say how good the Cyclones are and can be kind of fighting through that. But no, those were those were awful and, and some that you don't usually see. I certainly hadn't seen that illegal block. I think I've seen it once or twice in the NFL but not really at the college level, certainly not in the Big 12. So, yeah, that was pretty terrible, and it's something that uh, hopefully wouldn't happen to any team, but especially the Cyclones, again, kind of having to deal with that at home and then not quite being able to pull off the comeback. I was listening to the broadcast. I wasn't able to watch it because I was driving to that to that game in Macomb last weekend, and obviously the the guys on the that are announcing for the Iowa State game are a little biased, right? But – um, by the sounds of it, Baylor's offense wasn't moving at all. And then they got that targeting uh, call and then they end up winning by seven points. Yeah. That first one, I, I remember the defense of Iowa state was looking pretty good. And on the, the Anthony Johnson illegal block, the defense was terrific on that drive. I want to say that was a third down stop, uh, which certainly wouldn't have likely led to what, uh, what the Bears ended up getting with a touchdown for Baylor. So, yeah, I mean, the, the timing was certainly interesting because it was like they just set up the game, kind of putting Iowa State in this hole. And that's something that wasn't really fair. Um, but, you know, I've kind of been consistent that there are a lot of positives to take from that game. And as we, you know, get to Kansas in a little bit here, I think that there's a lot that Iowa State can take, both good and bad, 
from the Baylor game to kind of help propel them further in the Big 12 Conference. One other thing that I took away, at least by looking at the stats from the game, too, is Iowa State couldn't really get the run game going um, offensively. And then, of course, uh, the defense gave up three touchdown passes. Now Hunter Deckers is at a point where he's thrown five picks through four games. Um, Anything starting to mount there in either of those three facets where, you know, uh, Cyclone fans might or maybe they should be getting nervous? Yeah, the one that I really written about and hit on throughout the week actually just added this to my last preview we, we've had a lot of previews this week uh the turnovers right you know I, I not worried really at all about the run game especially with some of the injuries that that has been there on the offensive line and the fact that really through three games the Cyclones run game was gorgeous truly and it was working very well and efficiently especially the first couple of games including against a good Iowa defense with Jirel Brock at running back there. So I think the turnovers are something to kind of not hit the panic button, uh, but kind of start to question and think about a little bit because, you know, Iowa game for Deckers. Okay. First road game, Iowa's a top 10 to 12 defense in the country, at least uh, by many metrics and Baylor's a good defense, but I think it was a fumble in the, uh, Ohio game at home. So it's, you know, fumbles and interceptions and a couple of the interceptions have just been way off base. So I think the decision-making's there, the confidence is there. And you know, I'm high on Hunter Deckers. I think he has all the talent in the world and the trust and confidence is high with him too. But some of that accuracy certainly has to improve. Kansas's defense is not necessarily super impressive, but when you, when you just face teams with, no matter how good they are, just sheer talent level increases like Iowa, like Baylor, Texas has four-star recruits all over the field. You know, I'm thinking about other teams. Oklahoma state has been improving steadily uh, really over the last year and a half, I would say in that element. So I think that that's the one where I'm like, hmm, maybe we need to potentially take a deeper look here, but I feel that Deckers will have that kind of wrapped up as things go on. I don't necessarily see him struggling with that in Lawrence this weekend. That's definitely a thing where, I mean, he's just taking his first snaps as starting as the starting quarterback, right? That's one of those things where, I mean, you've said it, you're high on him. David Eicholt has said it, who covers Iowa. He's, he's higher on, on Hunter Deckers. And I mean, you just look at him and you can tell that that guy's an athlete, right? But once he starts putting the X's and O's together, that's where he's going to elevate his game. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think some of that has already happened, right? Like that very, you know, kind of calm, cool and collected finish in Iowa. That's a tough place to play. I'll keep going back to that. He still made a couple terrific throws against Baylor and he's near the top of the Big 12. I want to say it's in passing yards, uh, some top passing category. I believe that's what it was. He's had some great connections, Xavier Hutchinson. And I like that there's been a balance with the pass and the run game. I don't think, yeah, like I said, it's something to be super worried about, but out of kind of the things you asked about, that's the one that I've been hitting on and that quite honestly will cost Iowa state. If that continues against, against better teams. I mean, if Iowa, I keep going back to that game, but if they had a good offense or even average, those turnovers cost the cyclones. And then you're looking at, one and one, another loss to the Hawkeyes, you know, 
So it, it's kind of a much different degree there. And that's credit to Iowa State's defense and not, you know, so much credit to Iowa's offense at that time. But I think it's something he will get under control. There's just too much talent. And he's not a kid that, you know, just kind of goes through the motions and shows up on Saturdays, right? By all accounts, he puts in a ton of time. And, and I do think that is, for the most part, shown. I mean, sometimes the ball slips. Sometimes you get a bad break. There was a really bad break. I know you said you, you couldn't watch in that Baylor game, but the ball kind of was just about on target, slipped through, went off, I think, a defender's uh, back of the arm or leg and caught and another guy got it. So some of it's there, too. I'm looking for a turnover-free game from him this weekend. Iowa State beat writer from 24-7 Sports, Nick Oson joining us this Saturday morning here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Previewing that Iowa State versus undefeated Kansas. I'm never going to get used to that uh, happening today. Uh, for that game against the Jayhawks, I'm going to start with this. Are you a believer in, in what the Jayhawks have been doing this season? 4-0 start for the first time in, I think, 15 years, 2007, that era when they were good under Mark Mangino, which seems like forever ago. Are you a believer in Kansas right now? That does seem like forever ago. I remember that team. I was in, in my basement at my childhood home watching some of those uh, those units, Todd Reesing at quarterback. But Am I a believer? Yes. I thought that they would be better, um, you know, obviously than they were last year. And they have been, I can't say I predicted a 4-0 start. I probably can't go quite that high. I think the one that surprised me was probably the Houston win. Um, But I've been impressed. I think they're a legitimately good team, especially on offense. And I think they have a lot to offer. I will tell you, I'm incredibly high on Lance Leipold. Remember, I'm from Wisconsin. So I've known about that guy since he was the best coach in the country in the Division Three ranks at UW-Whitewater, multiple championships. Then I heard about him a little bit at Buffalo. Now, obviously, he's, he's got this turnaround. And he's someone that, as a fan of football and just sheerly being a good person, I root for that guy in general in the grand scheme of things because, you know, I've gotten to talk to him a couple times, and he just seems so personable and, and a really good person. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying, you know, oh, the Jayhawks beat the Cyclones this week. <laughs> you, you obviously get my point in terms of just there are good people that you kind of pull for uh, through the ranks. So to see a turnaround like that in Lawrence with him at the helm, I'm not surprised at all. I think Jalen Daniels, he's gotten a lot of attention, but I think he's deserved it. You know, on the field, he's been awesome. Off the field, Coach Campbell talked about it this this week. He just seems like a guy that and this is not verbatim, but essentially that you just kind of want to be around. He's, you know, kind of brings the best out of people and kind of brings uh, excitement, you know, to the field and to his teammates. So just to go back to your original question, I'm a believer in them. I probably would have picked maybe three and one start, certainly over their, their win total. And now they're going to have a really good test in Lawrence. I uh, usually give a prediction on this show, so I'll, I'll end with it in a few minutes. But, you know, I think it's going to be a fantastic game, Elliot. And I think that these are two above average to, to good teams. I think Iowa State's potentially really good when their defense is playing well. But it's going to be interesting. I think both sides will have their hands full. Just straight up, again, looking at the stats for Jalen Daniels, it's hard to not see the 
incredible amount of talent uh, 11 passing touchdowns already to just one interception four rushing touchdowns too so he's mobile he leads he leads the Jayhawks in rushing so he's doing everything for them right now uh I mean do you think he keeps this hot streak going against the Cyclones I mean you mentioned you think their defense can be really good but is he gonna still look like the Jalen Daniels we've seen over these last four games against probably the best defense he's seen so far Great call there, how you wrapped it. Definitely the best defense he's seen. I'm going to say no, he doesn't quite keep it up. If he keeps it up, then I, I think that the Cyclones fall to 3-2 and two and 0-2 oh and uh, in the conference because, I mean, he's such a big key to them. I think he'll have a good game. He, I think he's probably too good of a player not to. But, you know, I've I've made a prediction on my on my board this week. I think that Iowa State forces at least one turnover. Uh, whether that's an interception or a fumble. Could be a fumble with how much they they run the ball with the Jayhawks and the triple option sometimes. But I'll say an interception there. And I just – I feel, and this is going back to some of the positives from a loss against a Baylor team, not that the defense was necessarily complacent, but I think that they will be locked in and ready to go for Iowa State uh, later this afternoon, um, you know, at, at David Booth Memorial uh, Stadium, I believe. And I just feel that there are too many good players on Iowa State's defense. I like some of the guys on the front, but I love that secondary. And I think I trust them a lot, probably more than Kansas's, you know, wide outs and passing options. It's going to be interesting to see what Daniels does. I think he'll have a good game. I don't think he'll have a 2022 Jalen Daniels type game. And I think that that will certainly aid the Cyclones chances in coming home with a win. Again, Nick Osin, beat writer who covers Iowa State football and basketball, joining us today here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. He's from 24-7 Sports. Now, one big thing that I've heard a lot on, on a few radio stations as of late with Iowa Sports Media is the fact that Iowa State is just kind of, they perform at a higher level, it appears, when they're an underdog. Now, they're favored in this game at Lawrence um, do you think that should make ISU fans nervous that they're the favorites at Kansas this this weekend? Yeah, so they're you know they're the favorite according to the line, right? But if you threw on ESPN or some of these uh, bigger kind of uh, media markets or opportunities or shows, you'd certainly think Kansas is the way they're kind of being talked about, and I so that's where I go. That's cool for Kansas, you know, well-deserved, um, and, and they've, they've kind of earned it so far. But I don't think fans are worried about the favorite aspect or anything. You know, it's, it's slight. I think that Iowa State has probably earned it, just kind of what they've done more, you know, a little bit kind of recently, I would say, other than that loss against Baylor. I mean, they looked like they were playing some really good football. And I feel that just because – of the loss to the Bears, I think Iowa State will be performing as if they were the underdog because they know, like I said, that that game was winnable. So there are things to clean up. And this is a good opportunity to do so because, yeah, Kansas is good, but their defense is not necessarily good. I think they have a lot of holes in it. And I don't think that the Jayhawks necessarily have those big time pass catchers on offense either. Uh, so I think that the Cyclones secondary will kind of be able to lock that down. And that is why I, I feel pretty good about Iowa State's chances. 
You mentioned the media. Kansas is definitely the media's darling right now. And it's I mean, it's it's hard to not make them their darling because of this uh, meteoric rise, so to speak, after being awful the last 10 years. But uh, last thing for you, Nick, before we let you go, your prediction, who wins this game and why? Yeah. So, again, they have been the darling the Jayhawks have. And just as a sports fan, I love that kind of thing. Um, You know, maybe I'm just around the Cyclones and digging too much into kind of what they've done and their opportunities so far. But then again, like you hit on two minutes ago, there's a reason that they are favored. The, The Cyclones are still the favorite. I think they're the more complete team. Kansas might have the higher offensive ceiling. ISU clearly does on defense. Great coaching matchup, a lot of young talent on both teams. I'm going to say Iowa State goes into Lawrence prepared in what is a really good game and leaves with a 34 to 28 victory over and leaves with a 34 to 28 victory over the Kansas Jayhawks. I think that they're going to come back that make them four and one first big 12 win of the year and then a huge night game next weekend. The Olsen family will be coming in attendance. Ooh, big stuff, big stuff in Ames. Uh, he is Nick Olsen, Iowa State beat writer for 24-7 Sports, joining us here this morning on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. Go give him a follow on Twitter. It's at the real Nick Olsen. He does great stuff. Nick, we appreciate you, brother. Always bring it, man. Close to 5K followers on Twitter. I appreciate you, bro, and I will be back soon. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Saturday morning. If you missed any part of today's show, you can always tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast that is ready and available right now if you want to get that you and i preview Iowa versus Michigan preview and of course Iowa State and Kansas we just finished that up with Nick Osen from 24/7 Sports here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com of course all of our guest segments are available on YouTube as well you can just search my name there it's Elliot Clough or Corn Stocks and Sports Talk for that matter. And lastly, my name is Elliot Clough. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. You can follow me on Twitter at Elliot Clough. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.